Hi, and welcome to Coach's Connection by Mitchell Moore. Today we have the head coach of Kent State Women's Golf, Lisa Strom. Kent State finished the year ranked sixth in the country, winning five of their seven tournaments. In the podcast, we get into how Lisa's playing career has helped her as a coach, how she continues to learn as a coach, and how she has grown one of the biggest coaching networks in the country. Sit back, take notes, and learn from the LPGA Class A Teacher of the Year. Another week of coronavirus going on. So this is my second uh, interview since it's happened. Uh, how are you feeling about it? Um, you were coaching the number six ranked team in the country, so it's got to be pretty tough for you guys, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, I think two weeks into it now, and um, when the news first broke, I think a lot of us were just in shock and a very natural reaction and emotion. And, um, you know, now we're sorting through things and, and, not that we even really see the light at the end of the tunnel right now, but um, it was certainly a special season that we had going on here. And, and I think more than anything, um, the the lesson that we, we learned from all this is things can be taken from you in an instant and you've just got to be ready. Life throws a lot of stuff at you. And um, that's really the only guarantee we have is that we're going to have some adversity to face and how we respond. So girls are doing well, doing well. They're you know continuing. Obviously, um, all their education has moved to online for the rest of the semester um, which unfortunately means graduation and all that stuff is postponed, hopefully till another date in August, maybe. But, yeah. you know, I, I, everyone's doing as well as can be expected. And um, my heart just kind of breaks for some seniors that were really getting ready to to gear up for a great run at the national championship and um, and get to go to Augusta as well. You know, there's a lot of yeah. a lot of factors in that. Absolutely. And can you just get into uh, explain your special season you guys had? You guys won. Um, I, I don't want to get the number wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's four times. So if you can just go ahead and uh, get into that, that would be awesome. Yeah, we actually won five out of seven. So yeah. uh, we finished um, second at UT in the fall to Texas um, on their home course. They they threw a, uh, a low round at us that final day, a record round for them. And then um, we finished sixth at the Northrop Grumman Regional Challenge. So those were only two. Uh, losses of the season really and um, to finish the season with a a record of 94 and six um, the best in the country Uh, we just you know we had a great great run going on we had a great group of girls that um, really were were just doing a special thing Um, a lot of them had been at a high level already Um, a freshman had stepped into our lineup and Kaylee was doing a great job for us was having a great freshman year um, led the, the D1 women's golf and final round scoring average. Um, so she really, she really solidified, you know, her spot in the lineup as far as that was concerned. But you know, it was really funny at the end of the fall season, all she was concerned about was traveling, you know, and she wanted to make sure she was traveling. And I'm like, forget that, you know, and that's another great lesson is like, sometimes we set our quote unquote goals and then all of a sudden we exceed them and people don't know where to go. So we were having a really good, um, spring going on and we were actually down in Charlotte and, uh, had stopped there on our way to Augusta State, spent the night there, and then got the call to come home. So we had played a round of golf at Northstone and headed back north on 77. <laughs> and 94 and 6, that's pretty dang impressive. And uh, that is against a very good schedule, too. Um, and that's not against uh, any real weak opponents. So that's that's incredible. That, I uh, didn't realize that 94 and 6 was your record, and that's, uh, that's incredibly impressive. So Thank you. Um, yeah. Great job. 
And kind of getting into uh, into Kent State, um, you took over last year or this year, I guess, um, in the fall. Um, you were at Texas State before and had a lot of success there. And as you took over Kent State, um, I believe they're a top 15 program, and you've moved them obviously into the top 10. Um, what were the keys and um, foundations that you built? You were trying to build the program on at Kent State. Yeah, I think when you come into a program that's had a lot of success, you have to really kind of take a look at things and just really observe a lot in the beginning. So that's what I, you know, I pride myself on being able to adapt to different situations. And in my previous um, time at Texas State, I was coaching a lot and I was teaching a lot and I was instructing and um, course management was a big thing. And we had to touch on a lot of aspects on a daily basis down there. Uh And I think with... um, with Kent State, the girls were very independent, uh, very internally motivated and driven, and they push each other at practice. And so there was a, a big jump for me as a coach to uh, really shut my mouth and not say as much. And I, and I caught myself kind of leaving practice some days and be like, man, I didn't really feel like I did much. Yeah. And then I kind of learned that, you know, that's really what they need, though, is uh, when you're kind of at that level you know, you're not reinventing the wheel. I'm not going to come in and and throw a bunch of new stuff at them that they don't need because they already did so much of it so well. Yeah. And so I really just kind of took, um, you know, left my ego at the door, took a back seat to things and really um, gave them a long leash of like, hey, you guys are really good. And I'm going to just see, you know, how this progresses. And there were times when I'd ask them like, hey, what do you need? Do you need more of a practice plan? Do you need, you know, do you like a sheet? Do you like to work through a sheet and check things off? Do you want the freedom to do what you want? Um, and so each individual would kind of have a different answer to that. Um, and, you know, at tournaments, that was a big thing, too, is I was used to helping a lot. And whether it was bouncing around to a couple kids or kind of being in certain spots, and they were so tuned into what they needed to do that I didn't want to be a distraction to their progress. So I just really... <laughs> provided snacks and provided <laughs> Gatorade and water. And, and, you know, we were, we were having such a great run at it. I'm like, why am I going to mess things up? You know, I think that's the old adage of a lot of, of people of like, don't break what's not broken. And um, so I really just, I, you know, that was a hard um, time for me because you feel like you're somewhere new, you want to help, you want to be yeah. an impact, but I think really just letting them do their, their thing and what they were really good at. So I was helping, you know, um, Kaylee a little bit, Jenny would, walk with her at our tournaments, our freshmen. And and so she spent a lot of time with her on the golf course. And really the other four, I was just kind of making sure, Hey, do you have what you need? And I'm here to support. And I think, you know, that was probably the the biggest um, factor maybe in our success in the fall was that I didn't come in and just kind of ram a bunch of stuff down their, down their throat and say, Hey, this is how we're going to do things. So. Yeah, and I think that's one of the big keys to coaching, and it's kind of hard. I agree with you. It's hard sometimes to not overcoach, um, and uh, it, it does kind of feel like you're, you're not doing anything, but um, sometimes it's for the best, and especially when you're at a program like Kent State and you guys are being that successful. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, that's a, that's great insight, and I think a lot of coaches can, uh, can hear that because um, I think some coaches do too much or try too hard, if that makes yeah. sense. Well, and, and, you know, I think the thing for me, too, was it's not about me. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, as they come into a program, think that the success of the program reflects on them. And, and that that's why they feel the need to be so controlling of a lot of things. And at the end of the day, um, you know, the foundations of hard work and respect and communication 
were already really laid out here. And so I didn't have to come in and, and remind them or enforce all this. It was already really there. So if, you, if you've got a great program that has that foundation, then there's a lot of freedom within it of, of how you're going to operate. People can be who they are um, within that within that boundary. So I think, you know, it, it's checking the ego, though, of, of it's not really about us. We're facilitators. I listened to a podcast with Sue Enquist, who's an icon in the world of softball. And, um, you know, she's a, she called herself a facilitator. She's like, I'm just there to help people become the best person they can be through through softball. So for me, through golf, you know, like, it's and especially now that we're we're in the midst of this corona pandemic um yeah. you know we 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 really are now really getting exposed to how good of a coach are you and really are you transactional or are you transformational really are you there for your kids when they need you or are you just there at the tournaments when when things seemingly matter more and yeah. and now we're really understanding that um golf is just such a minor piece of of everyone's world really yeah and you talked about transactional or transformational. How do you uh, how do you try to become transformational uh, coach rather than a transactional coach? You know, I think it's just reminding them that there's a bigger life outside of golf. And uh, we do a program called Folds of Honor, so we honor a soldier every season. Um, we've been doing it the last couple of years at Texas State, so I brought that with me um, here. And and we found a, a soldier who had lost her life. Um, she was an athletic trainer. Uh, undergrad student here. So she had worked with our sport administrator who's in charge of all the sport medicine uh, side of things for us in athletics. And so he knew her and knew the family and, um, you know, exposing them to meeting her mom and dad uh, made it very real for the team. Suddenly they were carrying a bag with Ashley's name on it. And then all of a sudden when we met Debbie, her mom, after practice one day in the fall, and then we had her dad there at a basketball game. The two of them had come to a basketball game to be honored. I think that, you know, it hits home all of a sudden when it's when it's mom and dad and, and they've lost their daughter. And so doing stuff like that, you know, um, volunteering their time. Ben Curtis has a great foundation up here in Northeast Ohio providing meals to underprivileged kids and, and all these schools. And, and, you know, quite frankly, that's a huge need right now. When kids are out of school, they relied on on the food that they were getting from school. So again, exposing them to the idea that golf is just this minor little blip on a radar of your life. Um, and, and it's not to diminish the impact you can have through golf, but to realize that um, there's a lot of people that are that are in a far worse position than we are. And sometimes a bad round of golf kind of gets dragged on for a while, but yeah. they, they've done a really good job of letting things go. And, and even when I mentioned to them in the van, you know, that the NCAA had, had put out the, the announcement that everything was going to be canceled. Um, yeah, for sure. It was, it was a lot of shock, but I think, you know, they took it in stride just like they do on a daily basis. And, and they realized, you know, Hey, this is, this is life. You know, this is, this is far greater. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like your team's uh, extremely mature. And I think that comes down to, uh, to you as being a coach and um, intra- uh, putting that into your program. So that's great. Um, and now I'm going to transition a little bit into your playing career. Um, for those that don't know, uh, Lisa played at Ohio State, and um, I'm from Columbus. My parents are season ticket holders from Ohio State football for 30 years, so um, <laughs> they're uh, gotta they're, love that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And my sister uh, graduated from there, so uh, got a lot of ties to that school. Um, and uh, you started playing in South Dakota. Um, 
how did you get started in South Dakota? I don't feel like that's probably the golf mecca of the world or anything. Um, no, there's uh, there's not a lot of tour yeah. players from South Dakota. You're right. Yeah. So when I was looking at colleges, actually, I uh, looked at South Dakota State, and I went and uh, we we drove down um, and or drove up, I guess, and it was so windy there. I was like, holy cow! So <laughs> I'm sure it does help in that sense that you have to fight through uh, adversity of on the golf course and learn shots and things like that. But how did you get your start um, uh, playing golf? Well, you, you know, family was a big thing for me growing up. My parents both played. My mom started playing after she met my dad. And um, she, so she, you know, she got into it. My brother's three years older than me. So as a family, as we were growing up, we started playing together. Mm-hmm. Um, I still remember going to Lee Park, which is in Aberdeen and walking along with my spikes on my golf shoes through that parking lot thinking how cool that sound was, you know, yeah. and, and a lot of kids these days, I, all kids these days don't know the sound of that unless they've been to a, a PGA or LPGA tour event where one or two players are wearing them. But, yeah. um, you know, so there's a lot of special memories of, of time on the golf course with my parents and my brother. And um, as I got a little bit better, um, you know, it, the big thing for me was I was playing all kinds of sports. And I, I think, you know, during, during that time when I was just learning the game, it was during the summer. And again, um, yeah, the summertime is the main golf season, but our summer days are really long. So we'd be out on the golf course till 10, 1030 at night because it was still daylight. Um, so we'd kind of make up for a little bit of our, 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 our short season yeah. with the long days of, of daylight. But my yeah. parents, I mean, they would drop me off at the golf course. My brother and I, we'd go play with our friends and, you know, it was just a way to, um, just improve, but also just kind of learn the social side of things and, and the value of um, a lot of core values in there and integrity. And we'd play games and we'd, we'd play matches against our friends. And it just, um, it was a different time though. Um, you know, you could, parents felt very comfortable dropping off their kids at a golf course for the entire day. There was no yeah. second guessing it or worries um, about anything that might happen. We, they'd give us a dollar for a, you know, a hot dog and a Coke at the turn. So <laughs> You just, you kind of immersed yourself in whatever season it was though. So, you know, for, for the summer, it was golf for me. And then we'd transition into soccer, maybe in the fall and then right into basketball in the winter months and springtime would come around and here we were, you know? So I think, um, the whole athlete was being developed. And and I think that's a different story these days where a lot of kids feel like they've got to be a golfer and they've got to do it early and they've got to do it for the rest of their life. Yeah. And I would like to get into that, too, actually, uh, now that you've brought that up. Um, what's your thoughts on the whole athlete versus uh, the specialized golfer? Do you think that um, there are um, positives to both, or do you think one's better than the other? Um, if you um, were telling a kid what to do now, um, what do you think you would advise? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's sometimes it's not even the kid so much, but it's the parent, you know, and I think sometimes that gets – forgotten it's not like the kid really was like hey I just want to be a golfer and that's all I want to do that rarely happens so you know exposing to the game but also being social with team sports is a huge part of developing that player into then a great college player because you are in that team environment so I think there's a good balance there and you know certainly there are some sacrifices you have to make um, along the way we we moved from North Dakota out to Pennsylvania my the end of my freshman year in high school my brother graduated from Shanley High School in Fargo, North Dakota, home of Roger Maris. And um, so he stayed there with my mom while my dad and I kind of transitioned me into school. So I'd have some friends and, and kind of know what the 
the deal was for the summer. So, um, but getting to know other kids through sports is a huge thing, you know, developing those social skills is huge. And I think, um, I, I, I just feel like as, as much as it is about a kid and how much they're specialized, I think the parents play a huge role in that. And, and sometimes they're trying to live through that, that child's career. And yeah. really at the end of the day, do they, is that what they want? And, um, you know, the, the intentions by, behind parents' actions are usually great, but they sometimes have unintended consequences. And, yeah. and I think that's the, that's the shame in all of it. So, you know, I look for kids that are athletic, um, have huge hearts and, and lots of desire to get better and are coachable. Um, you know, that, that's how I like to describe how I was. I wasn't yeah. some AJGA All-American. I played in one AJGA tournament my entire junior golf career. And somehow Therese and I connected and we sent letters back and forth to each other. And all of a sudden I was on a visit at Ohio State and, you know, here I was getting an offer to, to play golf for her. And, and, you know, that, that to me was just um, her taking a chance. You know, I've seen the videos that I sent her on a VHS. They weren't anything great. <laughs> Quite frankly, if I got a video like that from a kid today, I'd probably be like, yeah, thanks for your interest in our program. Yeah. But you know, shame on me because if there's a kid out there that wants to get better and has the heart to do it, then um, those are the kids that you really love to coach because they're going to do anything they're 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 asked to do and and they're going to go full bore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a dollar hot dog sending letters to a college coach and uh, a VHS uh, tape. I don't think too many of our players even know what that is now. <laughs> no, no, that's right. <laughs> um, so getting back to starting in South Dakota. Um, you guys had pretty fierce winners there. Um, how did you work on um, improving your game in South Dakota during the winter? Um, you said you you played basketball, but I'm sure you worked on golf a little bit. Um, and now um, being a cold weather coach um, and having to compete at the highest level right out of spring um, for your national ranking, um, how have you taken that into your coaching and how do you help your, your team improve through the winter? Yeah, looking back, you know, you asking that question of, of what did I do in the winter? Honestly, I don't remember ever hitting balls in the winter. So if it was, it was maybe into a net that might, I don't even think my dad did that though. So it was more just kind of transitioning to another sport and really just diving in and and being a great teammate. And I mean, I was a, whatever you want to say, a small shooting forward or, you know, I was not fast, couldn't jump real high, but man, I could, shoot the the rock I was a three-point shooter right so anyway I mean I prided myself on taking charges on defense and and again I think that aspect of sport is often overlooked and I think we have to um to realize there's a huge huge development curve in that um transitioning to coaching and coaching up north you know yeah we're we're able to focus a lot on our conditioning during that time we're also able to do some technical work without the outcome being focused on, you know, we're not focused on necessarily all the shots that we're hitting and we can do some, some improvements and upgrades in our, in our technique at that point. Um, we have a great facility and any day that we can get outdoors, we are outdoors. We don't miss a day of practice uh, because of weather. Yeah. So we certainly take advantage of our, our huge indoor putting area. And then we've got, you know, space for about six, people to be hitting balls all at one time so you know but again what I've learned and taking over here at Kent State these players are so internally motivated that any day that was 
anywhere near doable to be outside. Even if there was a, a bit of snow on the ground, they'd shovel a spot out of there and, and they'd hit balls off the turf. So awesome. if that doesn't show you kind of what their mentality and their resilience and their hard work and their discipline is, um, I've got some pictures of kids out on, a, on our putting green. I've got some ki- pictures of kids hitting balls and kind of a little bit of snowflakes coming down. And, you know, that just that just goes to show you what it meant to them and how willing they were to to get better regardless of our circumstances here. Yeah, and that's awesome. And um, be, having been in your facility before, it's one I feel like it's one of the most uh, well laid out facilities in the country. It's got everything you could ever need in that place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're getting ready to probably do an upgrade with our putting green pretty soon. It's the original, so you know after 13, 14 seasons of roughly 20 kids on it um, throughout the winter months, that's kind of taking its toll. So we're about ready to do that and um, hopefully do some upgrades with putt view and. Um, you know, but yeah, the, even the outside area with the huge tee box we've got in the back of the range with two greens and yep. bunkers. And I mean, it's just, there's no shot that you can't come up with, um, to improve and you can hit your trouble shots. You can hit some, you know, shots punching out around trees. You can do all kinds of stuff and it really frames tee shots pretty well. I think the width of it, Scott Fawcett would love, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, because the width gives you that, that range of like, Hey, can I hit driver into this 60 yeah. yard width? So, um, it's great. And it's, and it's, and it's been very valuable and, and, um, in the development of our players as, as well as recruitment. Yeah. And, uh, I was going to go a different way, but you brought up Scott Fawcett. So I think we can get into it. Um, for those of you guys that don't know, he's a big stats guy. Um, I've had a couple people, um, talk to me that, aren't college coaches that have listened to the podcast and kind of wonder um, how we do stats in college golf. Um, can you get into how you guys do stats, um, what stats you guys keep, and what the most important stat you look at is? And then on the flip side, what do you think the least important stat, if you have one, is? Yeah, so I'm, I'm good friends with Mark Sweeney as well, so I've got a lot of you know um, faith in what he's been doing and, yeah. and Game Forge. He really, uh, last summer, um, kind of turned – turn the tables on me as far as exposing kind of what areas of stats to be looking at. And he and Brian Bailey have done a great job. Um, so we've actually been using GameForge this past year. It's helped us um, just kind of simplify some things. I think Scott does great work, um, but strokes gained is to me a little bit uh, misleading at times. And I think strokes gained as far as comparative in the field that you're playing is important but if not a lot of people are using that system you don't really know amongst those other teams you know at that same tournament what you're really doing so we went down the road of game forge i wanted to keep things simple um and we give them a sheet so they they fill that out as they're playing their round it's a pretty small little thing that tucks into their yardage book and they can put their stats in within a couple minutes after the round is done and um the biggest um, thing that really kind of boggled my mind, and, and I still to this day can't believe it because it's been kind of hammered into my head that total putts doesn't matter. Yeah. And now he's telling me that total putts is the huge indicator. And so I've seen this trend and I've seen, you know, how Game Forge has, has helped our team, you know, our focus. And, and it's a kind of an amazing thing, but we didn't even make that many putts. Um, that's how good a ball striking team we are. And so our focus then turned to kind of making some more eight to 20 footers. Um, so we set up games in that direction. And so that's where I think the value of statistics comes back. I mean, we were hitting loads of greens somewhere between every 
player in our lineup was hitting between 12 and 14 greens around. And so all of a sudden I'm like, well, where can we get better? We're really good, but where can we keep improving? And Brian and Mark really, you know, came back with just keep hammering like, Hey, this is the, the expectation of how many putts you need to have from this range and go have them putt those 10 putts and they've got to make six or whatever that, that number might look like. So, um, it really, turned turned me into a believer though that total putts to a round is huge if you're missing greens you better not have a lot of putts and if you're hitting a ton of greens and your score is still high it's it's coming down to putting so yeah um that was a huge you know and that that goes back to kind of my coaching philosophy of like you got to be open-minded and and i'm a big mark brody fan too if you haven't read his book every Mm -hmm. shot counts um you know it's it's huge in in knowing that ball striking is a big part of scoring yeah. Uh, I think that opened the eyes of college coaches and, and instructors in general to the idea that, hey, I got to have a good ball striker. If they're only hitting three greens, you know, if I've got a, a 20 handicapper that's hitting three greens a day, are they really going to get any better until they start hitting more greens? But once they do, um, you've got to have some some putts to, to start dropping. Definitely. And uh, Gameforge actually just started a podcast, too, or is coming out with a podcast. Um, <laughs> I feel like yeah, I during to. this time, there are more podcasts and webinars yeah. than people. Yeah. I think it's going to be overwhelming quite a, quite, quite yeah, frankly, but, exactly. but it's it's awesome, you know, and I think that that touches on something that our WGCA and, and the board of directors talked about the other day is, you know, you don't have to buy into everything, but find something that's going to help you improve during this time, you know, find something that resonates with you or maybe it's an area of weakness for you that you know you've got to get better and maybe it's recruiting and maybe it's statistical analysis of your players maybe it's technical analysis of your players but find something because um if you can't come back a better coach during this time you know that we've had built in uh, all of a sudden to our life um then that that really like i said earlier exposes the coaches that are willing to to improve and get better yeah and you were on uh, WGCA uh, Instagram Live last Friday and uh, said something that stuck with me. Um, it's And you can expand on this if you want. Um, I don't know the exact quote, but you said, um, no one's going to care how many Netflix shows you, you finished. It's more about um, how you've improved as a person um, yeah. during this time. So Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, it's um, as much as, it, you know, hey, it's like all of a sudden there's downtime and it's kind of it's kind of neat at first, you know, it's like, wow, I got all this extra flexibility, but at the end of the day, there's going to be other coaches that are busting their tail right now because they know they get, they've got to use this time wisely. And so, yeah, I mean, if it was a race to see how many Netflix shows um, (laughs) a coach could watch during this time, we'd be competitive and we'd try to do that. But the value behind that isn't there. So again, though, it's not about how many webinars you've watched either. It's, it's really, Um, something you just touched on right there is like, Hey, this is what I got out of this and how am I going to apply it? You know, I got a lot out of, uh, listening to Brett McCabe and, and, you know, some of the stuff he talked about with connecting with your team and what can you do? I mean, I've, I've been a big proponent. Um, Joshua Medcalf has been a mentor of mine, um, four or five, well, geez, now seven years ago, almost, um, six years ago. And, you know, he talks a lot about, it's not a, matter of what you can't do it's a matter of what you can do making a can-do list of you know if you're injured and if you treat this time a kind of like an injury what can you still do I mean we can work out we should be the most fit population not just college golf coaches but population Um, there's more free workouts online again there's just we don't lack resources right now we you know people people just 
need to dive in and find something and do something and move and get better because um, there's just never been a greater wealth of knowledge available at our fingertips. And I think that's what the most amazing thing is that people will still find an excuse of, of not bettering themselves. And, and, you know, I, I think you as a college golf coach um, have shown certainly that, that your willingness to grow and learn from other people is huge. Yeah. Um, and Joshua Metcalf actually came and talked to uh, our entire athletic department at Cleveland State when I was in college, and um, he was one, he was probably the best speaker I've ever heard. He was incredible. Um, and yeah, he really, keeps it uh, real. Yeah, it was uh, it was really cool. Yeah. Um, and so as you you always are talking about learning and improving as a coach, and um, how open minded you are. Um, what do you think? where do you think your biggest uh, growth as a coach can come from? Um, like, where are you looking to still improve um, the most? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's the connection with the kids again, you know, as I get older, they stay the same age. Yeah. Um, I'm 42 now might be spending my 43rd birthday in this house for, you know, another three weeks from now, but um, we'll be, we'll be sure to call you on your birthday, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, it's one of those things where that age gap, you know, how can you still relate to them? What are they watching on TV? How do you talk to them? And how can you let them know that, you know, you're still relatable and, and want to be part of, of their growth and their maturity and, and, and know that when they look back on their time here at Kent State that they think that, that was the best time of their life. You know, I want to provide them an exceptional experience where they can learn and grow in an environment that, you know, isn't judging their failures, but actually encouraging them. And, um, you know, for me, that's, it's just the continual development of relationships and, yeah. and really diving into what makes them tick so that we know how we're going to get the best out of them when the time matters most. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Thank you for uh, expanding on that. Mm-hmm. Um, now kind of in a completely different, uh, different light here, I guess, um, your program's ranked six in the country, um, competing against some of the biggest budgets in the uh, in the country. Um, I'm not saying by any means that you guys have a small budget, but um, I'm sure your budget isn't as big as uh, some of the uh, the powerhouse schools. Um, how do you continue to beat these programs um, with big, bigger budgets, and how do you stay competitive on a national level when um, maybe you're not allowed or able to take um, six or seven training trips or things like that? Um, is there a way you guys compete that way um, or? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think, you know, it's it's testament to the players within the program and the pride that they have. It doesn't matter. I mean, really what the budget is that they're going to just do what they can with what they have. And I would say, you know, we operate as a, as a power five program and um, whatever that means to people, I think a lot of recruiting side of things it means glitz and glamour and we we might not be as glitzy or or glamorous and and handing out seven pairs of sneakers and six pairs of golf shoes but you know when it really comes down to what matters the most and what's going to make you a better player we've got you know no one in the country in my opinion that has what we have to offer we've got two players that that played on the lpga tour that are leading this program and you know if a player has a desire to go on to the next level um and develop themselves as a, as a maybe not tier one high level recruit. Um, we know what that's like. We know what it's like to have to make a putt on Friday afternoon to make the cut on an LPGA tour event. And there's only a handful of programs in the country that, that can say that. And I think that experience, um, 
sheds a lot of light on on what it means to develop yourself and move, and move on to the next level of that. Uh, and secondly, for for what it's worth, you know, there's there's really no lack of resources as far as academics and on campus and what we can provide with athletic training and and all that. So, you know, what it comes down to, and, and I, I'll say this till till I'm no longer probably in coaching. If the kid has the desire to get better, there's really no excuse in the book um, to not improve and to not get better. I mean, we hit pro V one golf balls every day at practice. I mean, it's just, you know, I think that's, that's the side of things that people think if you're in a, a, you know, a a G five, whatever they call it, the next five conferences Mm -hmm. that, you know, you lack this or you lack that. And really, honestly, at the end of the day, it's like, do you want more golf shoes and more, workout shoes or do you want to win golf tournaments and compete for a national championship like what's more important yeah and and it's flipping the script on on that for for recruiting because a lot of kids get wowed by that and i and i at the end of the day i ask them like hey compare apples to apples you know what's the instruction like that you're going to get what's the development as a person that you're going to get you know And, and that that's the side of things that i think parents truly start to listen to and, and when they're making those decisions um you know if it's about a pair of sneakers then they're probably not really the right kid to, yeah. to be here well you got me sold if i was a uh, if i had a daughter i'd first send them to colorado state but if not colorado state, <laughs> <Kent> state. <laughs> love it and uh you talked about uh what kind of instruction they're going to get i just wanted to highlight um you were voted the lpga class a teacher of the year this year which is uh pretty impressive so congratulations on that thank you thank you yeah, it's a great honor I mean you know and I've and I've said this and it's maybe a little bit cliche but it's so true that you know I'm I'm only able to get that award because of the people I'm around and the people I've gotten to coach and instruct um, I gave some lessons to some people down in Texas and um, obviously working with with Texas State and that award was pretty much based on the kind of previous calendar year and um, but I'd be you know remiss not to mention Mike Adams and Doug Spencer and Therese Hessian because I mean those three people have just been huge in my development as an instructor um, as far as learning what the body does and how it works and how each individual person has their own idiosyncrasies that um, they're not going to swing the golf club the same way as, as someone else and I think that that's an integral part of my teaching and my belief in my system of making sure that you're using your body um, the proper way and, and so that it can be efficient. Yeah. So well, that's great. That's great insight. And that's, uh, completely true. It's amazing how many different golf swings you see on the LPGA tour or PGA tour that, uh, that get it done. Right. Well, it, it, absolutely. And I think a big part of that is then people want to change things like they, again, the ego hops in, right. And all of a sudden you want to, well, it doesn't look pretty. Well, I don't care if it, is it effective? You know, if it doesn't look pretty, but they're getting pretty good results, who am I to step in and say, Hey, I think we need to change this. And, and that comes down to trusting, you know, the player coach relationship and how the communication is. Um, there's a player here at Kent state this year that was pretty independent on, on her own side of things and and what she was doing. But my job as a, as a college golf coach is to always be ready. So when the question is asked of me, Hey coach, what do you think about this? Or, Hey, I need some help with this that I'm ready. I've studied her swing enough. I've studied, you know, maybe her short game technique enough to know when the question is asked, I'm ready to answer and, and help and step in. Um, you know, it happened at the back of the range for me this spring with one of our players and she 
I, I number one, had to apologize to her because I'd messed up. I did a poor coaching job at the end of our tournament in Houston and had asked her a question too close to when she gave me her scorecard. And it was at the end of the tournament. We had already won. Um, and I asked her a question about uh, a hole where she struggled the entire week, her second shot. Um, just it, there was some sort of mental block there. And I asked her the question right after she gave me her card. And, you know, I swallowed some pride there. I talked to a coaching buddy of mine and, and he's like, Hey, listen, like maybe it's just important that you apologize. Yeah. Maybe that's just all she needs to hear. And, and that's me being really transparent right now because a lot of coaches, A, aren't willing to do it or talk about it or willing to admit it when they mess up. But man, when I went up to her and I told her, Hey, I got to tell you something, her eyes kind of looked at me like I was going to tell her, you know, something tragic had happened. And, um, I was like, look, I got to apologize. I did. I, I was a poor coach that day. And she's like, she kind of laughed it off. And I'm like, no, no, no. I really need you to accept the apology because this is big for me. Like I, this, this shouldn't have happened. And that yeah. was wrong. And she did. And then we spent some time and she was hitting some bunker shots at the back of the range. And you know what? All of a sudden that led to her saying, well, why is, why is this starting left? It all yeah. happened in a matter of about 30, 40 minutes, you know, and, and sometimes that's all you need is to connect with a kid and, and let them know like, Hey, we're not perfect either. Co college coaches are far from it. Um, but the more you're willing to make amends and, and apologize for some stuff that maybe went wrong, the, the greater chance you have later on of connecting with that kid. Yeah. And that might be my favorite thing you've said all day. I think, um, just, I think that's so important. I think you, you're never going to be always right as a coach. And, um, I, I feel like the more you, um, apologize to players and accept mistakes, the more you can build relationships with the players. And um, like you said, that took off um, with your relationship once you apologized and she realized that um, you aren't perfect and you're going to make mistakes, um, but you're willing to uh, to say that you made a mistake and apologize. So um, I think that was, if anybody gets anything out of the podcast, I think that's not only a coaching lesson, that's a life lesson right there. Yeah, and if, right. And if we're asking kids to model, you know, a certain behavior, uh, we better sure as heck be, be able to look in the mirror and say, Hey, without, with beyond reproach, like uh, I'm, I'm doing that same thing. And, and I'm willing to, to accept sometimes when I, when I do the wrong thing and, yeah. and that's fine, you know, like that's part of growth as a person. And, and if you're modeling that for your players more often than not, they're going to start to, to do the same thing and maybe not be as defensive or, or not be um, maybe complaining about certain situations. If they see you, kind of throwing your arms up in the air, guess what? They're going to feed off of that too. So um, just got to be, you know, very mindful and, and impe impeccable with your words a lot of times is how I say it. Like you have to do your best to, to make sure the words that come out of your mouth are what you mean to say. Yeah. Yeah, and you said you uh, talked to one of your coaching friends uh, about that situation um, and you are a person, um, along with my boss, Laura, who has one of the biggest coaching networks um, in the country, I believe. Um, how have you grown that network and how has it helped your coaching career? Well, it started, you know, when I was coaching at Ohio State, um, Therese really encouraged me to get involved with the WGCA. And I kind of thought at the beginning of that, like, eh, I don't know, do I have the time? Do I have the, the ability to really make an impact or you know, do any of that. So then I heeded her advice, which I often do later on. I look back and say, yeah, I'm glad I did. Um, so I was the assistant coach rep on the board for a number of years. And when I became the head coach at Texas State, obviously my 
title as assistant coach rep wasn't going to work there. So I had to, I was off the board, I think for about nine months and then was reelected to a position. So I've been on the board for the last four years again. And, um, you know, it's just been, it's been great to kind of collaborate with a lot of great minds and know that you're making an impact on the world of women's college golf. And, uh, through that and through my time on the board, you know, you start to, be around other coaches you're um, when you're recruiting there's questions that maybe people have so they start asking questions and then I'm always willing you know if people reach out especially you know even after that Instagram live last Friday I've had a number of coaches email and reach out and uh, including yourself and you know just being the being open to developing younger coaches I mean I think we have a great responsibility to enhance the game of golf through development of assistant coaches. I mean, that's what happened with me. And I had a great leader in that regard with Therese and, um, I'd be doing a disservice to her and the rest of our, our college coaching community, if I didn't do the same and and kind of carry that on. So, you know, I love it when people reach out kind of blindly and say, Hey, we've never met, or, Hey, we met one time at the convention. I don't know if you remember. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I do, but you know, the just being kind of open to those conversations and helping a lot of people ask what I read. And, and I mean, I journal a ton as a coach, I'm writing down things that we did at practice conversations that have been had so that I can look back. I've got journals from all the way back as an assistant coach. And even from my playing days that I've found as I've organized this home office. Um, and it's really interesting, the themes that you see in, in the communication side of things that you see. Um, but you know, that'd be my encouragement as far as, um, assistant coaches and people are just getting into this coaching side of things. Um, don't be afraid to reach out and, and talk to other people about it and ask for, for feedback and don't be afraid to reach out to top level coaches. I think that's sometimes, you know, this stigma of, um, you know, Oh, they're not going to have time for me. And in fact, they have a ton of time right now. And this is a great time to, to kind of get your name out there. And, and if you do have aspirations of being a head coach at a top program, it's really important that, um, I had someone tell me this recently that it's not, how did it go? It's not who you know, but it's who knows you. Okay. <laughs> and um, if people don't know you or your name on a resume, then they're probably not going to be as interested as, as they might, as you might want them to be, um, even though you might know them. So I think that's a, a, a great way of putting it. So putting yourself out there, um, you know, and I'm not afraid to put stuff on Instagram or, or Twitter or all that. I mean, I think giving yourself some some insight into what you do, it's um, kind of gets the personal side of things. So, you know, and I think that's a huge, huge side of how recruits and and um, other coaches learn about you. So, I, you know, doing these podcasts, I've done a few of them. And I just every time the questions are different and it's fun and it's um, it's a great way to get your message out there and encourage young young coaches to do the same as far as just starting on this journey of, of you got to develop yourself and lead yourself before you can really be uh, leading others. Yeah, definitely. And um, you talked about reaching out to people you don't know. Um, when I started this podcast, by no means am I saying I'm doing everything the right way. But um, starting this podcast, I've reached out to numerous coaches that I have never met before. Um, Lisa and I have met once or twice. Um, and it's amazing how many people uh, want to help young coaches. So um don't hesitate to reach out to a lot of coaches because most of them are willing to help. And um, like you said, you're getting your name out and uh, people are learning about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that's, and it's just a great format to 
kind of dive in and instead of these little blips of, you know, hey, this highlight of this coaching career, this or that, it's like what got them to where they are. That's a huge yeah. part of people's stories. You know, I, I enjoy le- reading biogra- biographies um, about what other great people and great leaders and, and great athletes of of all time have done to get where they where they are. And a lot of it you know does boil down to putting yourself out there and a lot of hard work and and doing the work is a huge aspect of it. You know, you can't just hope that things kind of come together. So if you don't have a system in place of kind of what you're doing, what a great time in our life to sit there and really just try to develop a system, whether it's recruiting or practice planning or tournament planning. Um, you know, this is the time to ask those questions and how the best are doing it. Um, this is a great time to ask them because they have a lot of time on their hands right now. Yeah. And I love the way you're looking at this time, too. Um, obviously, it's a, a tough time in the world and a pandemic going on. But um, like you said, there's always a way to improve. And this is probably the best time to do that as a coach, um, having pretty much all the time in the world that we can. And um, the things we're going to need to do are to self-improve and make sure we're uh, continuing to improve as coaches. Yeah. Um so one final question for you, Lisa. I appreciate you coming on. It's been awesome. Um, I uh, started this podcast because, uh, number one, I wanted to highlight uh, women's golf coaches or women's sports coaches um, that coach women's sports. Um, most podcasts I listen to are all um, coaches that coach male sports. Um, the other reason is I want to uh, – I was on a quest to find what separates the best coaches from the rest. So in your opinion, um, what do you think separates the best coaches from um, coaches that aren't as successful? Um, I know we've gotten into this a little bit, but if you can expand on it, that would be awesome. Yeah, it's a big question, right? It's yeah. it's a lot of little things that add up. But I would say, you know, at the end of the day, um, some of those biggest things are always striving to find maybe a better way to do things. So it's always that growth mindset of, of looking at the situation you're in and how can I improve it a little bit? You know, maybe it's taking the time right now to, to get a little bit better individually. Um, and then I, you know, the communication aspect and communicating the vision you have for a program to the student athletes so that they latch on and they, they are driven, um, by that communication and that vision of what you have. So I think, you know, big, a big part of, connecting with your student athletes is being able to convey, Hey, this is where we are. This is where I see the program growing. How do you guys see it? Give them, you know, the opportunity to put in some, some of their insight and after, at the end of the day, doing the work. So, you know, but it's the, the ability to communicate and really connect with those student athletes to kind of push that program forward, wherever you are, whether you're, you know, ranked number one in the country, number 100, and number 200, if, if you're trying to get better um, and you're not succeeding in that, then you got to take a look back and to say, hey, where can I improve um, and be willing to kind of pivot and adapt um, and adjust. Because I think if you're not getting the results you want, I'm a big Brian Kite fan. Um, if, you're not, if you're not changing your response to some some outcomes and events, then, are, you know, how are you doing as, as a leader? So, um that, that's kind of a roundabout answer yeah. of answering your question, but you've got to be able to adapt to the situation and communicate what you what you desire to happen and also listen and, and connect with those student athletes. And if they're not on the same page for whatever reason, um, maybe they're not a good fit for the program. That's okay too. I think I've learned that the hard way with, you know, sometimes my style is, is different for some kids and that's okay too. It doesn't mean that my style is right for everybody, but, um, 
there's a lot of freedom within the program I run for a person to be themselves. And I think that's, that's huge for a kid's development is they don't have to be a certain way, but we got to do things within the, uh, the expectations of the program. Yeah. And that's an awesome answer. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you again for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been awesome learning from you and, um, people are going to be, uh, extremely excited to learn from a coach that coaches the top 10 team in the program or I mean in the country. And, uh, we just, uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Mitchell. I appreciate your time today too. Yep. Absolutely. Have a great one. You too. You too. Thanks. Take care.